The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The New Nasty Boys. I'm your co-host this morning, afternoon, evening, whenever the fuck you decide to listen to this thing, Billy DeVore. And sitting on the phone across from me is... Yeah, what up? I'm back. It's me, Lee Kimbrell. Hello, nasty boys and girls across the whole wide world. How in the fudge are you? They're good. They're in a great mood. Did they clap? I couldn't hear if they clapped. Oh, yeah, big claps. Big claps. I don't know if you... can, Can you not hear that through the phone? No, I can't hear the applause. It's fine. I couldn't hear it last time either. Oh. Just trust me, they were there. They were very loud and rambunctious. Whose voice was that? Do you have another lover there with you? I have a many a lover, but one of the lovers that that's voice that is, you might know him from being on here before. Dear friend of the pod and friendship and life, make a lot of noise for Danny Samet! Yeah, they're clapping again, huh? Oh, yeah. They are. It means a lot, everybody in the audience. Uh it's great to be back. Just completed literally a cross-country voyage, and I'm excited to talk all things Cincinnati baseball redlegs. Mm. Dude, that journey that you just went on was truly epic. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, a friend of mine and his family moving from L.A. to Massachusetts, and they have quite the collection of exotic plants. So I flew out to L.A., threw all them exotic plants in their minivan, and then drove from L.A. to Massachusetts and stopping. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. Stopping in. So day one, L.A. to Fillmore, Utah, about eight hours. Fillmore, Utah to Denver, another eight hours. Got to partake in some of the all-star festivities. Uh, wanted to buy a Jesse Winker jersey, but they didn't have any. So I went full cuck mode and bought a jersey. Um, wow. Yeah. Oh, full yes. Full cuck mode. Full dude. cuck mode. Then Denver. What, what was that? Like a buck thirty? Yeah, well, so the jersey was a buck thirty, and then the customization was another thirty-five, which is still cheaper than the Reds team store. That is true. Like, and the customization is you got the the nipples cut out. Yeah, I got the nipples cut out, and then <laughs> I got like Jesse Winker's face like embroidered on the armpits, so that That's as cool. I sweat, he just gets more and more yellow. More and more wet. Nice. Frothy and wet. He'll eventually just be skin tone, so it'll be nice. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the long play. Then uh, from Denver, I trekked onward to Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, Great town. Great town. Uh, Did not do much there. I was feeling pretty tired. And then I made the executive decision to carve out a casual 13 hours the next day. Went from Omaha to Cleveland. Uh. Yep, that's how I feel about Cleveland too, Bill. <laughs> and then uh, Cleveland to Buffalo, which was only three hours. Had the original Buffalo wing at the anchor. And is it breaded? Uh, yes. Uh. It was delicious, though. How? Like, I hate breaded wings. I mean, it's I fine. I hate breaded wings. I mean, I think it was breaded. <sighs> I mean, either way, it would have been light. It was delicious, though. The, I feel like... I don't know. With buffalo sauce, you have to have the right amount of heat and the right amount of butter. Right. And the sauce, the wings themselves could have been better, but the sauce was spot on. It was delectable. Then from Buffalo, I only had about seven hours to go. And then I finished it off 
in Beverly, Massachusetts, where my buddy Wilson and I sat down side by side at a bar, ate two lobsters apiece for $25 each, and watched the Home Run Derby. And oh boy, was that a swell night out after a week literally straight of driving. What? Damn, man. That rules. $25. So, yeah, I mean... This town, it's like a little industrial fishing town, 30 minutes north of Boston on the coast. So, first off, I literally drove ocean to ocean. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. I mean, like, lobsters there like are as plentiful as it gets. So, right. I was like, they can sell them there for 25 bucks for a pair. Right. And it was incredible. Just They're just sea cockroaches. Yeah, just enormous wet cockroaches in my mouth covered in butter Mm, how many days was the journey in total uh let's see fillmore denver omaha cleveland it was a six-day drive man that is just so thoroughly doable i know you had one 13-hour trek in there but like man eight hours is like you don't even if you leave early enough you can get to wherever you're getting to by it and have get dinner and no exactly and And that's how i structured it you know it's like i have no interest in driving through the night and especially after like getting to sleep at a reasonable hour and being sleepy ahead of that just get up at like 6 37 slam some breakfast and then get in at like 4 35 have some dinner kick it with the homies that i haven't seen in a year and a half find a town to hang out in god Danny, that's uh, what a treasure that you got to do that. So, did you you stayed with buddies? Did you have to get an Airbnb or so, anything? No, so I hoteled it most nights. Um, I was trying to save my friend a little bit of scratch, but um, I had I hung out with friends in Denver. Uh, I hung out with friends in Omaha. Then in Cleveland, I stayed with Thrice's front of house guy. Oh, nice! Uh, and that was, I mean, we've hung out like we we sleep next to each other in tiny sarcophagus <laughs> beds and we've done that for like six years now like multiple months a year and i haven't seen him in a year and a half so wow. like that was really nice and got some good breakfast in cleveland the next day and like you said you talked with somebody about you know you got to hang out and watch sports i wish there was an app that you could use that you could get a bunch of people to talk about a certain sporting event at one time you know kind of if only there was that thing available. Guys, there is. It's called Spotify Green Room. It's live audio only sports talk platform. Green Room Spotify Green Room is a free audio only social media platform for sports fans. Start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app for free in the iOS or Android App Store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the sports drink group. Follow us at the new nasty boys to be notified when my room goes live we'll be going live on spotify green room at some time on someday there it is that's a raid that is one spotify green room do it do it up now lee you're on the phone you're in lexington and how was i mean you you were gone you did a nice little leg i have just been a fucking fully rambling man the last like three and a half weeks and it's kind of great and it kind of rules and then i'm also kind of coming loose at the fucking edges like not really having like a a home base like i'm used to you know i mean because as it stands right now i'm in the old mom and i'm in the old mom and dad's house dude you're living it up like you're back in high school 
Yeah, man, I'm chilling. I, it's uh, it's cool. I mean, I was officially out of a lease in Cincinnati at the end of June. We then have just been kind of just either on the road, staying, staying at a hotel, or crashing uh, with Morgan and her parents up in northern Kentucky, or my parents, or a friend's couch somewhere, and it's it's fun, but I'm you know fucking whooped oh yeah man i bet it's hard to even just it's hard to even just make a routine and stay in it let alone what you've been traveling and you just don't have your space to lay your head and do your thing so you're just like and i feel welcome everywhere whether i'm at my parents house or at morgan's parents house but you know it's still whether it's valid or not there's still just the stigma in the back of your head i'm just like even though it is temporary and we're moving to Austin, it's just like very, very excited to be living with my mom and my dad. Oh, you sure. Know? You get to enjoy this time while you're still like a, a re- like, you know, a reasonable drive away from them instead of just, you know, like, hey, I'm going to Austin. It's just up and scram. It's like, well, yeah. it's it's not like an end. It, it, it sounds like it's just like the end of end of life situation, which it isn't. It's just the end of an era being like within a couple hour drive. Yeah, man, we're just my family. We're just like a Mexican family. You know, it's not <laughs> weird for the children to move in and just all live under one roof. Right. It's a great move. Yeah, man, white people be fucking it up for everybody and make, you know, you're not a loser if you move back in with your mommy and daddy. Right. No, and also it's like, I'm sure you're so grateful for your parents for raising you. And like, oh my God. You get to just show them physically what that looks like. (laughs) Yeah, I can just show back up in their life and be like, Hey, thank you for the dinner tonight, you know? (laughs) Thank you for the dinner that you're taking me out to tonight and tomorrow. Until I leave. Until I leave. Thank you for all of the food that you are buying me. No, no, I don't eat home cooking anymore. I've changed. (laughs) I've changed. As in, I only eat at Olive Garden, Applebee's, Chili's, Chains restaurants, you know? She is whipping it in the kitchen. Oh, I believe it. I've had the cooking. Mama Kimbrell knows what she's doing. I mean, like a king right now. Speaking of Applebee's, one of the places that I've that I've been since I missed the pod is my my car broke down. Uh, headed down to the beach, my car broke down in Athens, Alabama. <sighs> I was stuck in Athens, Alabama for twenty seven hours. That um, sounds like a lot of fun. What happened to Rhonda the Honda? Rhonda the Honda, she had two hoses and a belt go out on her. It was really quite something. Yeah, dude, I've put in the last month, I've put like $1,100 in my car. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, you know, that's cheaper than buying a new car. I'll tell you that right the fuck now. cheaper than buying a new car, and she's already paid off, so, I mean, it's, it's fine. Right. But I uh, stuck in Athens, Alabama. One of the things I did to pass the time was uh, go to an Applebee's. <laughs> did you corner up at the bar with your dude, your 24-ounce mug of Coors Light? Dude, how about this? I had four 24-ounce PBRs and a half rack of ribs and got out of there for $23 plus tip. Lee, you know what? In show business, we refer to such a thing as a good deal. As a good fucking deal, dude. To quote another son of Kentucky, Jack Harlow, you're really channeling this line right here. I'm a restaurant goer, never been to Whole Foods. 
great. Hell yeah, man. That's a good pull. That's a fantastic pull. You, I love Jack Harlow. Aren't you and Big Hands going to go see uh, Big Hands Dum Dum? Aren't you going to go see uh, Jack Harlow yeah, and Indy? Yeah, I, uh, I bought a couple tickets to that. Like, I don't know. I think that he's, like, all jokes aside, I think he's doing something really special, and I'm really into that last record. I think that uh, he is uh, kind of carrying the torch from Mac Miller for a... Drug-using dipshit? <laughs> hey, for a white dude in the rap game that gets it, you know? And I appreciate that a lot, and I think he's incredibly talented, and I think he's got a bright future. And I'm Respect. real into that last record. Also, got to show love to Kentucky. Also, he showed up for Charles Booker last year, so I back it. Oh, dude, Jack Harlow is 10 out of 10, man. The kid fucking rules. I don't really know him, so... He's, he's, you're much too cool for him. Oh, no, I am not. Get out of here. I'm wearing dad shorts that have charcoal stains on them because I was working at the grill too hard. <laughs> Full dad mode. I'm a dad rock legend at this point. What'd you whip up, Bill? Well, guys, this is how dad mode it's gotten. I made my, my second big green egg post on Reddit. And it got a bunch of upvotes. I'm very proud. Hey, congratulations, Thank man. you. That's how I'm spending my time. That's not true. And uh, I made some pork tenderloin. I can confirm it was delicious. It. Uh, I had I had it the day after. Is that correct? Or was that a couple days after? A couple days. Uh, babe, I made this pork tenderloin on Monday, right? Yeah, I made it on Monday. So for those of you at home... It is Thursday. It is Thursday. So whenever you hear this part of the magic of recording podcasts is that it's actually thursday no matter what we may say or reference but uh i can confirm that the loins were to die for and the smoke <laughs> really set in in the last couple of days oh it was delicious there's nothing like well, the last the last thing i ate over there was the best billy billy concoction that i've had today it was that brisket oh oh yeah i uh bad news i just had to throw it out there wasn't much left. I'd say there was about a quarter of a pound left. So we took down, you know, seven pounds of brisket in two weeks. I'd that, say that's pretty good. That's that's some good work, my friend. Yeah. There's nothing to hang your hat on there. No. Oh, man, you bought, you, bought, you bought it for like 50 bones. Yeah, and it fed us for a while. Alicia yeah, ate it while it was gone. Forever. Right. So it was pretty solid. I'll, I mean, I'll fuck for accomplishment. Meat captain. Thank you, sir. We have we have docked at Meat Island. We brought. We're bringing home the troops. <laughs> Mission accomplished. You know, you know what's so funny is I can kind of hear my mom downstairs. She's on. She has done a Zoom call every Thursday at five thirty since the pandemic started with all of her old college friends, and they're called the Hookers. Amazing. <laughs> And they've gotten, like, merch made. Uh, brilliant. Uh, my mom is having a reawakening. Uh, she actually just retired. This last Friday was oh. her final day of work ever, which sounds real fucking nice. Uh, oh, that's incredible. But, yeah, she, uh, she sent me quite a few drunk texts from her pool at her apartment complex the other day. <laughs> Hell yeah, uh, dude. Yeah, my mom's fucking ripping it. It's pretty awesome to see. Uh, 
job well done by her as nice. well. Uh, she was at the same place for 26 years. What I, was her gig? She was a like brand manager for the parent company that does like Biore, John Frieda, Curel, and stuff like that. So she sure. had this brand called Bio Oil from South Africa. And uh, let me just like kind of like a retiring athlete like i'll just go through my mom's like career highlights uh <laughs> she went to a couple super bowls being wined and dined by the fine folks at news america uh and then one time a couple years ago she went to south by southwest and i texted her i said mom i know you love your wine you need to be careful i'm telling you from multiple multiple experiences at south by southwest you are not going to stay sober for longer than an hour the second you touch the ground she's like oh no it's a work trip i promise four hours after she landed she was texting me about the Mowgli's, who i know for a fact she had not heard of before then asking why they moved their meet and greet back and i was like mom <laughs> i told you lord have mercy on the Mowgli's, because i know that she told them all the times that she let bands stay over at the house, and I know she told them all about me, and I'm sure they're like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> but I was like, Mama, that's a damn good band. I'm glad you're at least seeing some good tunes. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's fantastic. You just love to see it. Oh, there we go. All right, cool. I've got all the draft picks pulled up. Um, so here's my question. Now your mom's retired. She's at the apartment complex. How much time are you going to give it till she just starts being in, you know, group stuff with everyone in the apartment complex? Um, Jesus. You know, it's a valid question. It is a valid question. I mean, from her, her take on it was that they all party a little too hard for her speed. And her words were, really? they don't seem very educated. Uh, so... I don't know. That's interesting that they that they're partying pretty hard. I mean, my mom's gone full Betty Draper in her retirement and has started horseback riding lessons. Oh um, shit. So I don't know. I mean, enough time spent around a horse, you're gonna want to spend some time around a horse, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll see what happens. Um, well, the problem is you bring a man around a horse and he just feels inadequate because it's such a big dick, you know. This episode has a new sponsor for the first time in New Nasty Boys history. <laughs> oh my God! What is the sponsor called again? Oh God, babe, what was the horse? The horse dick camp at? I think you should leave with the, the stables. Fenton, Fenton stables. stables. When when the horses are hung like, like you. When the horses are hung like you. God, what a show! Season two, just breathtaking. It's wonderful. Lee, have you watched it yet? Hey, so these fuckers like pop out of the wall or <laughs> they just like come everywhere. Dude. I just I just wanna know, not making a joke, are there ever cum shots? <laughs> I don't wanna get the laugh. I don't wanna make everybody have the worst day of their job. <laughs> but these little fuckers God, so it's just brilliant. the dude that plays the tour guide, um, my buddy Scott in LA, I guess that dude is a friend of Scott's and he's just like super into the show and he's like an actual actor. And I guess he just like reached out and like got on because he's like, yo, I'm super into this. I feel like that's what happens with everyone. Like, you know that Bob Odenkirk loses his shit watching that show. Oh, yeah. I got triples of season that season two. Season two, he really took some shots because I mean, it, it's just the classic case of how do you how do you top the first first one? You Dude, know? that was the thing because like there are some like 
such just brilliant moments in that first season. And I was really worried. Like, obviously, like, just the creativity and the writing of that first season are just second to none. And, like, I was just like, man, what could he possibly do? And, oh, boy, he did it. Whatever it was, he sure did it. I I just still don't think it's as good as the first season, but here's the I thing. Uh, it's not, but there were enough moments on each on – e- like, there were still five or six sketches in season two that are, like, you know, classics. Oh, yeah. I don't know how I'm going to get through this without wine and popcorn. <laughs> Dude, the uh, the scene where he it, he dresses up as uh, Carmen Laginio or whatever and goes out and he's like, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> the chin is so fucking heavy. And now we'll hear for a word. Fucking hat off. <laughs> and now we'll hear from a word from our sponsors, Billy Devore and Lee Kimbrell, as I refill my water. Uh, there you go. But dude, I I mean, it's like Alicia pointed out. It's like we haven't watched the second season a million times yet. You know, right, right. So it's like the first season's so quotable. It's so like just wild out there, always belly laughing. But I've gone, I've I've gone back and watched the Ghost Tour three or four times. I've watched the Dan Flashes a bunch. Dan Flashes is so good. It's just perfect. Like it's and and well, also that's our life, Billy. Dan Flashes. Yeah, as T-shirt executives, that's our life. It's very true, that- and it is true. Like the more like. At Cincy shirts, like if you're doing like more crazy prints and like doing front and back and stuff, it's gonna cost more. So like he wasn't wrong. I thought that like, you know, I think that with TV and movies and stuff, it's important to be realistic and like as <laughs> professional like t-shirt gurus, shirt like smiths. yeah, as shirt smiths, like I will like to extend a loud round of applause to Tim Robinson for really nailing the accuracy of that. Yeah, but we don't actually have aggressive customers that punch other customers to get shirts or push them down Billy, steps. you haven't spent enough time at the OTR store, clearly. <laughs> Motherfucker, I started that thing. Yeah, but things have changed, man. <laughs> Wait till the whole Winker family is in there, and Mama Winker is trying to like beg us to let her pay, and we're like, no, and then she's like sticking Nick's head in the press and just like scarring him for life just because <laughs> we refused to take her money. <laughs> Like 350 degrees to the cheek. And then he's just in that press like, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> I'm not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> so, so yeah, Lee, you've watched it. It's pretty great. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just fantastic. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, we haven't talked about Florida. I'd rather... We'll do we'll do all of our tour stuff when, when you're back in person, which is eventually... Uh, we'll do that next week in person. That would be great because it's going to be a fun one. Um, so, what? How much more time till we have a, our surprise guest? Yeah, Lee. I don't know if you checked your phone, but uh, I saw it. Yeah, uh, seventeen more minutes. So maybe we can go into the Brewers series first. Let's do that, and then we can double back if we need to. Talk about the draft. Yeah, we'll talk about the draft with somebody who's. I mean, I'm I'm fairly qualified to talk about the draft. But I don't think there's a human on this planet that's as qualified to talk about the draft as our special guest that I pulled out of my arse. Dude, that is a crazy pool that you got. I'm very excited for this. He's a good boy. We have exchanged commentary on baseball over fluids made of hops. Oh. And he's a good boy. You met him at the winter meetings? No, uh, on one of my other epic road trips of the panorama. Oh, that's awfully wonderful. I had a big old baseball day in Phoenix. Had beers with Trent, 
had beers with soon to be announced special guest of the pod. Big old baseball night. And actually the uh the hotel I was staying at on that driving voyage when I was in Phoenix, that was where uh all the Reds minor leaguers who didn't buy buy or rent houses stayed. Oh shit. So a lot of uh a lot of laundry being done. That's amazing. Well, uh, let's let's start with the All Star Game. Yes, that happened too. That happened. Uh, Lee, did you get a chance to watch it? I didn't watch the whole thing, but I caught spurts. I saw both of our boys at bats. Yeah, there wasn't much to ride home about about our boys at bats. I mean, you could tell Casty was pushing like he did in 2020 when he he puts pressure on himself and he grounds out, but. It was still he, yeah, he, he popped out. He popped out. You know that's you know that happens. It's the All Star Game. These are guys you don't see regularly, and they're these pitchers are at the top of their game. Yeah, I just it, love that Winker put together a solid at bat. He drew a walk. That's very Reds like. He's kind of carrying the mantle for Joey Votto's All Star appearances. But you know, I I really just I just had so much fun watching everything All Star Weekend. You know, it. Uh, it, we haven't had a lot to cheer for lately, and I think that uh, Winker and Castellanos are both exactly the kinds of players that we as baseball fans, but specifically as Cincinnati Reds fans, like they're exactly our kind of people. Big energy, big personalities, trying to be the face of the sport and the face of two-thirds of the outfield in the National League. It's pretty impressive to see. And- well, I mean, you know I am so here for Winker being known as the guy who's like, Oh yeah, you interviewed Jesse Winker. He's gonna start crying about how awesome his life is, right? And that fucking rules. Oh, I didn't know he cried during the interview. Oh, he cries during a lot of interviews. It's pretty cool. Oh, I knew that, but I didn't know he specifically. Well, so, uh, a Cincy shirts nugget. Um, Ryan Winker comes in often, and I had just some random like emo mix on because I am not in control of my feelings, as we know. <laughs> um, and like brand new was on or something and he's like oh shit nice song and then we just start talking about emo music and if the older brother is listening to sad boy emo music you know the younger brother was at some point so i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that jesse winker in addition to being emotional about his family and his daughter is also just emotional in general because he's probably listened to a good amount of uh mid-2000s emo at some point well, there was that awesome video of him and Liam Castellanos singing, Where are ya? Mark Hoppus retweeted that. No shit. Yeah. So awesome. That's sick. Well, Mark is very sick, and we're praying for him. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. Tease and peas. He is quite sick. Uh, also, Jesse Winker's daughter in the Rockford Peaches dress. Love it. Does it get any better than that? love that that's such a cool move and i thought that like you know i think that it's like especially in like we all love baseball drip we all love when athletes express themselves and i think it's really cool like when like tatis's suit was so awesome but i just really appreciated both winker and castellanos shirt choices on the purple carpet like yeah uh castellanos wearing the shirt of that liam drew is awesome just so cool and then winker like asking the morgan family for yeah, permission to rep. For permission is so tight that's just so classy and like he, uh, just i love what he said he's like i want to represent for cincinnati and joe morgan was a huge part of like doing this and like that's what i love about like like uh i think i, f- I think it was trent um, ask Aroldis Chapman years ago um, 
about like Cuban baseball and like the lineage of the game and like Tony Perez especially and like uh, to- uh, Chapman didn't know who Tony Perez was right and it's just like it's so cool to me to like see the new wave of players like actively embrace the tradition because like no matter what happens like it'll be the year 2076 and we'll still be hearing about the big red machine and just embracing like those larger than life figures that like just dominated the Cincinnati sports landscape and still do like it's just so cool to me and like Winker that was just such a power move and I just nothing but respect Right. And we haven't had like that type of mojo and these type of guys in our lineup and in this organization since 90 the since the the nasty boys, you know? Some some big dick energy guys. Like even when we had that run in the early 2010s, there wasn't anyone to me who stood out as as just an over the top personality. Yeah, I mean Brandon Phillips had his moments, but I feel yeah, like true. Brandon Phillips had his moments, but like when you look at the cores of those teams, like Cueto was kind of just to keep his head down and do his business thing. Jay Bruce is just like all American baseball just guy, pro, just a pros, yeah, pro. pros, pro. Scott Rowland, yeah, Scott Rowland <laughs> was Scott Rowland, and that's all that needs to be said about that. And like, I mean, it, like Vado at that point was still like Baby Joey, and like as like if any like listening to any modern reds like the Jim day podcast like whenever he interviews somebody like everybody kind of unanimously says that vado like kind of over the last couple of years has come into his own and like i just really like the juice that this team plays with like we can say whatever we want about amir garrett walking before he talks but i still just love the heart you know it's like it's uh like the shirt I'm wearing right now. Shout out to my personal sponsor and friend of my pod, <laughs> uh, Riley Breckenridge and his brand Classic Grit. I feel like the red this Reds team embraces it, and it's a uh, there's a lot of chutzpah with this team. Oh, tons of chutzpah. Tons of chutzpah, and I love it. It's it's really it's really special, and I think that that was kind of part of what sucked about last year is that like the team had so much juice, and I think I lo- they have. I love- yeah, to, to speak on the hutchpah that you speak of, like, you know, to get into a little something else, I know we've got a guy coming on here shortly, but, like, do you throw off the hutchpah too long? Because it's, like, part of the little, part of the grit and part of, like, the chip that we have right now is, like, you look over and you see, you know, Kyle Farmer. <laughs> you look over and you see Alejo getting reps or whatever. It's, like... If you go out and you trade for a Trevor Story, does that throw off some of the vibe? I think it increases it for the simple fact that the front office went and did something that big and believed in those guys. And I think that once he gets in there, he will be embraced because he's another he's another big energy guy yeah. too. And then he'll be you know, and he'll bring that to everybody else that type of swag. And I think it'll just put us over the top in the confidence category because anytime you can have a front office go down and make a move and show, hey, man, we believe in you. We're going to move forward and do this for you to make sure that we can give you the best possible way to win. That only increases confidence in the clubhouse. There's no other way to really, you know, to really look at it and and see how it could hurt because the chemistry, I think, is so good. And if you throw somebody in like that, it's definitely going to get better. Yeah, I agree entirely. I think that it's a... If you're a player on the current Cincinnati Reds, they don't care about getting rid of prospects. They want to win. And I think for the front office to kind of push some of their chips in and 
do, that, that is nothing but a vote of confidence in the court, current court. It's not like the front office saying, you know, like, we could be better. It's the front office saying, you know, we have the talent in place. Let's add on to it. And I think that, like, look, the reality is it's like, no one, I don't, like, they're professional athletes. They know what's happening. They have access to the same stats and numbers that we all do. They see it every day. They know that there's weak, there's, there's weak points. And, like, obviously, they're going to have their guys' backs. And, like, they're not going to, like, talk shit about Kyle Farmer. And they're not going to talk shit about any of the relievers. But, like, there are weak spots on this team. And, yep. like, they, they want to win. And I think especially, like, Looking at a guy like Mike Moustakis, who's been there, done that. Looking at Joey Votto, who wants nothing more than to win in Cincinnati. Like they would love it, and they would embrace the confidence, and they would also like. I think that this team pretty clearly thrives under pressure. Wait, and, wait are you saying that Mike Moustakis plays for the Cincinnati Reds? Allegedly, I had no idea. <laughs> allegedly, Lee, did you know that? I, uh, you could have had me fooled, man. It breaks my heart. But I mean, what do you do when he gets healthy? Well, it seems like it's going to be a while. He hasn't had a setback, but his heel isn't healing, hey, the right way. Um, and he's still in a boot. Like, he's taking ground balls in a boot, but it's it, I, it seems like it's going to be a later in the, in the season situation. Damn. <laughs> yeah, but, like, here's the thing. It's like, and we've talked about this on the pod a lot. It's like... If you have a healthy Senzel, he alleviates a lot of stress on the rest of the roster, but you don't. And it's like, I love Alejo Lopez. The dude's just dripping in swag, and like that picture from spring training just haunts me. But uh, he just, like, they, they need something. And I think that if you can go and get a shortstop, you can really like be a lot more malleable in there. And then when Moose comes back, if Moose comes back, if, if and when Senzel comes back, at that point, you're looking at just a much stronger bench. Like, because then it's like, all right, if India, if it, you can put Moose at second, you can put Moose at third, you can put India at second, you can put India at third, Senzel at second or third, and the outfield, like, you just have a lot more versatility at that point. And like, I just. Gino is what Gino is. I think at this point, it's pretty safe to say that like he is the player that he's been the last this season and the sixty game season last year. And I think if you if the, if I'm the front office, I am looking at this team, and I'm looking at Gino in particular, and I'm not trying to trade him necessarily, but I'm just being realistic and like yeah, he is a huge part of that clubhouse, and he is a great ambassador for this city. But there's improvements to be made at shortstop, and by making an improvement of short at shortstop, you kind of free up a lot of other guys to be able to move around and get the best bats in the lineup every day, even if somebody needs a rest. And also, that's the other thing. It's like there have been a lot of times this year, well, particularly when Vado was hurt, that you were playing all three catchers every day, and even like that, that's just not that's just not good. And I love Kyle Farmer. I think he's done a great job and he's been a huge part of this team because of his versatility but he's not an everyday starter no and no if you can repl- and gino at this point isn't either if you can um you're gonna get what you're gonna get from gino and this is kind of it um if you look at his last seven games and 27 at bats he's got two dingers five ribbies a walk five strikeouts with a slugging of 407 and his average is 148 in those seven games Billy, that's what we call a small sample size i know i'm saying it as a small sample size to let you know how important it was in that last series 
I mean, he fucking hit a dinger off of Hader in the ninth to win the game. I mean, that's important. He still no, absolutely. I I also I just think he isn't, and I've talked. We've talked about this. I, I feel like it's not at nauseum yet, but it's getting close. I think it is literally something with his eyes. He's not seeing the ball as well as he was. People are saying, oh, it's his shoulder, it's his shoulder. I think he just needs to get his goddamn vision checked. I mean, he has such a beautiful smile and, you, and a beautiful face. Com- yeah, he does. I mean, the combined There's got to f- be one weakness in his physical form. And it's got to be his eyes because he, he hasn't been this much of a defensive liability at third in his career this 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 far like as as many errors as he has well most of them are at short a lot of them have come recently at third i mean he's had a couple plays that have cost us i mean at least a win um uh, his glove i mean it's baseball is that fickle ass game where his glove has also saved us a couple ball games i agree with you for sure, but it's also Gino of 2019 would have made a lot more of those plays that he's bu- he's 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 just he's just messed up this year. Oh, it bums me out to no end to have to agree when it's like, I mean, it's it's weird to say that a dude with, you know, who's on on pace to have what 40 dingers and 98 ribs is not an everyday player, but it's like, I don't know if he is. Right. I mean, with 18 halfway through the year, so let's say, I mean, he could get a little bit hotter. I mean, he could still go out there and hit 40 home runs. That's what I'm saying. It's crazy. It's, and I mean, that's like the modern thing, but like if you look at Joey Gallo, that was kind of his profile when he first came up. And he's really like made adjustments and become just like a terrifying all around hitter. And I mean that in a good way. Like, obviously, he's a power forward guy. And there's pretty much no one in baseball with as much raw power and game power as him. But it's like he is able to do other things. You know, he's got plus wheels. He's got the ability to play a great right field. And it's like if Gina, that's the thing. It's like, and I'm not trying to rag on the guy again, like incredible component of our, like of this recent Reds core, incredible ambassador of the city. But like, you got to look at it. And it's like, if he is only contributing one thing and that one thing is the occasional home run you can upgrade there if he is somebody like a kyle farmer who is playing at least like average to slightly above average to sometimes slightly below average defense at literally every position that's something that's something different you know but with gino he's playing horrible defense he's literally a one-trick pony now and i guess that's my thing it's like if you're going to be a one-trick pony, it has to be, like, something besides, like, the occasional dinger. It's got to be either, like, st- stud-worthy defense, Terrence Gore-style, like, pinch-running specialist. Sure. Or, like, 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 god-tier defensive replacement. Sure. And Gino's not doing any of those things. I wish there was a place where we could talk about Gino while he's taking live ABs. And you know, with you like probably a, could like on the internet. You probably could. I think there's a place. It's called Spotify Green Room. Uh, free to I've heard of that. It's free to download and use. Talk to me, other fans, athletes, and real insiders. So check it out. Spotify Green Room. Download it. Hold on one second. Here we go. Hello. What up? Hello. This is- hey. We're uh, joined live by a special guest. Uh, we're about to start talking draft after talking to Eugenio Suarez. And, you know, I fancy myself someone that's fairly competent talking about prospects. But, you know, those that can't teach, or those that can't do teach, 
those that can't teach, teach gym. Thus, <laughs> I'm more in the coaching side of things. So let's bring in a teacher. And here to school us today is Mr. Fangraph himself, Eric Longenhagen, grapher of many fans. Hey, how's it going, Danny? Doing good, bud. You're here with dear friend and Cincinnati Reds legend, Billy DeVore. Hello! At heart. At nice. heart, he's a Reds legend. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. How's it going, guys? It's good. And then also on the other side of the phone is Lee Kimbrell, my co-host of the pod. What's going on, man? Howdy, gents. Good to, good to be with you. I uh, hope everyone had a nice all-star break. COVID-free, I hope. It was free, baby. I gave uh, of the people on this podcast. I gave two of them COVID plus the first lady of the pod uh, last year. So uh, thankfully, we're all vaccinated, and now none of us have COVID. Yeah. Uh, so the All Star break was very healthy. Well, I, I have COVID right now. It's not the Delta variant. It's the Southwest variant. Come on. Jesus. Good lord. Wow. Wow. Eric, I don't know if you could hear that, but there was a rim shot uh, applied via technology because here we are uh, in the days of Rapsodo and Edratronic. We invest this podcast budget on rim shots. I spent 13 hours in airports yesterday because there were two. They were doing rolling blackouts in Denver because of the heat and uh, the airport power was shut down twice while I was there. And it just forced the ground stoppage of all outgoing flights. And then, like, they snowballed and yada, yada, yada. I got back to Arizona at, like, midnight last night. So, Oh, God, that's uh, awful. You could have just pulled a knee you know? and just driven 13 hours in one day, like, every day last week. Because that was fun. It would have been, It would have been. yeah, it would have been the same outcome. I just would have gotten home about the same time. <laughs> Yeah, and you would have had a lot more memories and a lot more bubble guts from Speedway Roller Dogs. So, yeah. did you really win that situation? I don't think so. I think I got to watch some of the Suns game in the airport. I think that was the lone thing that I picked up. I got a bunch more work done, like, that I didn't want to do. I was like, yeah, I get to take a break now for the first time in six months. And then it was like, yeah, well, I just pulled a 12-hour day today because I'm just going to be sitting here. So, yeah. <laughs> That's 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 a gritty player right there. That's the sixth yeah. tool. And you watched a great finals game last night. It was fantastic. Yeah, they've been really good. Some of the series really does kind of harken back to when I was deep in, in basketball at age you know, 13, 14 in those Spurs and Pistons teams were, were going at it because that's the type of basketball that I feel like I'm, I'm watching here. There's not so superstar driven as it is more team oriented this finals and it's just kind of the style of basketball that I like watching. Yeah, and then when it doesn't what like and I think the beauty of this series is that there's still like such transcendent talent that even when it isn't team oriented, like Giannis chucking up a three for some reason, like he can still be a superhero and just go full Superman mode and take off from the free throw line and put it back. Because I think that's what he planned the whole time. He knew he wasn't hitting that three. He never hits the three. No. Yeah, the the group of guys... Like, I live in Arizona, so I want the Suns to win, and I hope if they do win that they have the parade at night somehow. I've never been to a <laughs> championship parade when it's been like a buck twelve outside. But like... Uh, it's a dry you know, heat, though. Bridges. Yeah, well, not right now. The monsoon, like, we're going to get thunderstorms here. There's thunderstorms in the forecast for the next week. It's it's welcome, but it is bizarre. But anyway, yeah, like, Mikhail Bridges is a Philly guy, so I want him to win. Uh, but I love P.J. Tucker. I just, you know, dig the way he plays and have been following him since college. And Drew Holiday and I were both 
when I was in college in Philadelphia, while Drew was a sixer as like a young guy and watched him come of age there. And so if the Bucks win, like it's cool. Those guys deserve it too. So here's the thing. I didn't, you mentioned Drew Holiday and I'm interested in your opinion on this. I feel like in the NBA, you have so much more emphasis placed on like locker room guys. Cause like Drew Holiday, like in his age right now, like he's not going to be like an all world player he's not like the guy to build a team around but like also draft capital is meaningless in the nba but like yeah you'll just like see players like that just get boats dumped at them and just picks after picks just chucked across the country to grab someone with that energy and it's pretty cool yeah and when you know look i don't know if we're looking back at what sam hinkey did in philly one of the first things he did was basically trade Drew Holiday for the pick that became Nerland's Noel. Like the Sixers basically went two for five on top two or three picks, you know, with, with Simmons and Embiid as the hits and Julia Okafor, Nerland's Noel, and uh, who's the kid from UW who they traded to Orlando? Uh, um, uh, Fultz? Yeah, Markel Fultz. Yeah, like those are three whiffs. Like you can't, you can't bat 40% like picking in the top three like that. Drew Holiday's just better than most top five picks in any given NBA draft anyway. And, right, but you're uh, right. But you got to trust yeah, the so, process, right? I think that, yeah, I think <laughs> that, you know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I just think retaining, you know, there's just some, I think that some of the process that we've seen in other sports, especially <laughs> in football now, where guys are just like, hey, what are the chances this draft pick is better than this guy who's off? good on an NFL roster right now. Like, are we really going to do better than Matthew Stafford, even though he's in his 30s? Like, certainly some teams are starting to operate that way. I so was about like to totally say. different perspective. Sean McVay season. But, uh, yeah, I was about to say, that is like the perfect example. Just who who needs a first-round draft pick for the f- next five years? <laughs> Not when you can get Matt Stafford and Jalen Ramsey. No kidding. But, uh, yeah, obviously, Eric, you have made your living as a basketball savant, and Fangraphs is the world's most prestigious uh, basketball analysis site. So uh, I know this is kind of more of a passion play for you when we talk about baseball. Um, but uh, <laughs> So looking at the Reds draft, I was very intrigued. I wanted Watson to fall, and obviously I think that was the stunner of the draft. But um, looking at Matt McClain, uh, I will defer to a friend of mine here who pretty much put it as great as I think anyone could. He's boring as shit in the good, not great tools across the board and just goes about his business and does a ton of little goddamn things every day to help win baseball games way. He's going to be a solid-ass big leaguer for a long time. I tend to agree with that, you know? He's like, there's not really one tool that, like, jumps off the page, but, like, he got, like, he, he going into the year, if I'm correct, he had, like, some top five, top ten buzz, and I think that getting him at that pick was definitely a win for Cincinnati. Yeah, I agree. Um, McLean, especially closer to the draft, his name started moving up into the, you know, is this guy a candidate for Baltimore cut a deal with at five? Uh, the Mets had a lot of heat in towards the end of the year. They picked 10. Uh, you know, McLean's last regular season game against ASU, they had a bunch of guys here. The Mariners were rumored to be on him at 12. Uh, and I totally agree with that assessment. This guy's got a long track record of hitting and playing unspectacular but perfectly fine up the middle defense at both middle and field spots and then they tried him in center field when he was a freshman and 
uh, kind of carried over some of the growing pains from defensively to the plate with him. Did not have a good freshman year statistically at UCLA, but uh, but yeah, it's just great feel for contact. Runs well. Is going to play up the middle. Uh, I think that that assessment is is 100 correct. He's a Boers client. I don't know based on the rest of the team's behavior throughout the draft uh, if he's going to be done for slot there at 17. Uh, there's not a whole lot else going on in this draft class that indicates to me that like they did some over slot guys anywhere. Uh, there was not some obvious like high school or junior college over slot type of guy anywhere, unless like I'm underrating or missing something about some of the junior college guys who they took on day three. Uh, so I'll be interested to see where McLean's bonus comes in, but yeah, I think he's going to move quickly and play, you know, he's probably going to be a multi-positional player of, of some kind uh, at the big league level and, and not, you know, an all-star type guy, probably just a well-rounded versatile big leaguer. So who would you say his comparables are? Uh, I would say like, it's it's in that range. It's the type of role that like Chris Taylor plays with the Dodgers, but without quite so much power. Uh, it's more like um, like Cesar Hernandez, maybe if he's playing second base every day for your team. Uh, you know, you hope the hope is that he turns into Whit Merrifield, where oops, suddenly there's just more juice in here than we anticipated, and you just you know roll him out every day and. You know, that's like the high-end outcome for a guy like this. One of these short-levered college up-the-middle performers is like Whit Merrifield is your high-end outcome, but mostly you're you're looking at like a contact-oriented uh, utility guy, basically, which is fine. David Fletcher would be another one where uh, if the hit tool is better than we expect, and it's like, oops, this is a 70 or 80 grade bat, uh, even without the power, that's like a two and a half, three war player, basically all-star value without big sexy power numbers. Uh, then that's like that's the other right tail outcome here if, if things really, really work out. I think what's interesting to me, or the most interesting thing about that pick, I agree, I don't think they're going to go like significantly over slot on anyone. I think that uh, looking at their first three picks, I think they're probably going to go a little bit over slot on McLean, maybe like a medium over slot on Jay Allen, and then probably a little bit under on Nelson. But uh, I, what's interesting to me about McLean is that as you said, like he has versatility, like that's something that's huge. Like if you look at the Dodgers, perfect example, like that whole team can play any position pretty much. But like with the Reds organization in particular, they've been pretty hesitant about like letting players be athletes, you know, like with their development of Senzel and just kind of jamming him into center field. And then they kind of, they only let him loose and kind of unlocked him this year out of necessity because of injuries. Uh, I'm really hopeful that they kind of, take the training wheels off right away and allow that versatility to just let him be an athlete you know that's the move what draft a kid develop what you can and let just let the athleticism take over yeah i agree um and i think you're probably right about the who is coming in over and under slot i know jay allen who they took 30th had homes in the 20s a bunch of those teams had him in for private workouts i think as high as toronto picked either 17 or 19. I know that they had him in the workout, although they were exploring an underslot deal with him. Uh, and ultimately what he wanted did not like take the cake for them. And so that that's an indication to me that he probably had real viable homes somewhere in there uh, in the twenties. 
I think San Diego was another one that worked him out. They, although they worked out like every high school player that you could think of. And then, yeah, Matt Nelson, uh, who was draft eligible in 2020, got passed over. Catcher from Florida State with gigantic power. Just old for the class because he could have gone last year and just didn't because he had a bad month before COVID shut everything down. Uh, and then had a huge, huge rebound here. The track record for those guys right now, if we're looking at other dudes who were drafted with that sort of sequence of events, like have a lousy junior year, basically, and then crush it as a senior, it's Brent Rooker with the Twins, uh, and then Cody Hosey with the Dodgers, and they're both, like, just doing okay. Uh, like, they probably are, like, 40s. They're, they're righty power bats off the bench or, like, part-time corner outfielders who, like, start against lefties and get the occasional you know, DH and, and they're like big pinch hit boppers off the bench. You got a couple guys on, you want to tie the game with three run Jack, like that you want a guy like this on your bench. So uh, that's what I think Nelson's going to be. But yeah, just because he's older to take a guy like that at 35 probably means he's coming in under. Yeah. I feel like with Nelson, um, the reds are particularly thin at catcher as an organization. They just graduated Stevenson and I wouldn't be surprised if they declined Barnhart's team option and just kind of, give Stevenson the reins. So I kind of, I mean, I think with Nelson, like, as you said, he's 22 years old already, and that's kind of problematic in some ways, but massive, massive power, hit tools questionable. Um, And the 25% K rate in college is definitely a worry, but to me, it's like, all right, cool. This guy knows how to swing the stick. He has done a lot of development at Florida State. That's a very prestigious school. Uh, obviously that's a lot of games under his belt. I feel like that's kind of, I mean, obviously he does have one superb tool and he's pretty solid behind the plate. So I think that that kind of more was just kind of like a plug and play organizational depth thing. And you could do a lot worse, but I'm not necessarily like, as you said, like, I think if he's a major league backup catcher for 10 years, just eating bombs, like you could do a lot worse. And catchers break late almost all the time like how many how many big league starting catchers right now were having among the top 10 seasons at the position were just drafted and developed linearly by their org they didn't kick around waivers or whatever like catchers just tend to blossom late whether it's travis starno or tyler flowers even when they're good prospects like both those guys were top 100 prospects at one point and then just didn't hit or got hurt a bunch and were eventually let go and then once they were healthy and got an extended opportunity somewhere, they broke out. And it's almost always dudes built like this who are just big, giant, strong, physical guys with huge power who just through sheer force of reps like end up coming into some amount of viable feel for contact. And you know they build this like, resilience to the incredible beating that you take back there. And you know at this point, I don't know, if you're hitting – Mike Zanino is going to hit less than 200 – and he's an all-star, like just because he's good Red. defensively and has huge power. <laughs> yeah, as as showcased on Tuesday, that was beautiful. Huge, yeah, it was a monster, Jack. Can we uh, <laughs> look, look, man? I'm just going to ask you a favor here. I've been trying to do this, and I need an ally. I need the term "dummy thick" to be <laughs> a like an oh, actual done. scouting term. Done. Thank like, you so much. I'm. I've been in. Baseball now, this is like 13 years, so I've been doing this since I was 19 when I was an intern for the Phillies AAA affiliate, right? And, like, yes, I'm 
by all times looking for a new new physical descriptors especially and I've, yes done consider it done <laughs> so i think like that's one of my favorite things about scouting is that it's really similar in this one specific way to the art of being a sommelier where if you watch that movie som which is a awesome documentary about these four dudes competing to become master sommeliers just the terms they use to describe wine it's just ridiculous like he says that one wine smells like fresh cut garden hose and like <laughs> smells like decaying forest floor like who <laughs> thinks of these things and like you had a good one the other day waste bender. and how are they appealing <laughs> <laughs> yeah like I, I mean a dummy thick wine that definitely works. A dummy thick catcher, that definitely works. Um, a couple of pitchers with reliever concerns, that is not a good descriptor for wine, but it is a good descriptor for some of the Reds draft class. Yeah. Um, you know, another guy who got passed over. Well, no, I think it's good. Uh, I got there. I picked, I picked up what you were laying down. <laughs> the guy who they took in the second round, Andrew Abbott out of Virginia, was another one who was eligible in 2020. Uh, did not throw well during that four-week stretch before the shutdown. Looked relievery was basically pitching out of the Virginia bullpen, and uh, yeah, didn't didn't get picked. But he's got the in this new age, especially when Kyle Bodie's in charge of developing pitchers in your system. You know, it's easy to develop velocity. It's hard to find the traits beyond the velocity that help your stuff play. And Abbott's got that. Like it's only a upper eighties, low nineties fastball, but it's got that big flat uh like ride at the top of the zone so he's blown this by college hitters in the zone just because it has that like power pitchers carry at the letters he's gonna have to throw harder but chances are he will and he's got that snapdragon curveball right so it's just a two-pitch power reliever look just without the prototypical velocity right now i think you run him out as a starter just so give you know like him more reps to develop some of this stuff uh but, uh, but, yeah, I think Andrew Abbott in the second round is interesting. And then Thomas Farr in the fifth round. Right. Yeah, it doesn't have to – this is a guy who already throws hard, right? Like, him it's going to be about finding a slightly better slider, but definitely a relief look. Just when you watch him throw mechanically, you're like, oh, yeah, this guy's a reliever. Uh, and then Kevin Abel in the seventh round is another one where it's like he throws 87, but when he's right, he's got a plus changeup and – at least an average curveball, but he throws 87, uh, you know, and he's been running to the ground. Like, this is another older guy who's basically beaten to the ground at Oregon State. He has a College World Series ring to show for it. Like, he's the reason that they won. Uh, but, you know, now <laughs> he started the year off well. I saw him the first week of the year against Jordan Wicks, who the Cubs are, took in the first round. Half the scouts left that day preferring Abel just because they thought he had two legit out pitches in the secondary stuff, whereas Wicks just kind of has one. And then by the end of the year, Wicks gets close. Like, people were just like, take Abel off your draft list. His stuff is gone. Like, he's just didn't have the stamina to last the entire season coming off of TJ and a missed year. Uh, so he's another one where it's like, hope this guy can throw harder and he's in the right system to try to do that, I think. Yeah. That's a great That's a great way to put it when you, when you brought up immediately Kyle Bodie and the ability to create velocity and have it and i think a big problem that the reds have had going into this offseason and trying to piece together the bullpen with a bunch of dollar scratch off lottery tickets i.e cnl perez and jose de leon like those were guys who had velocity but the problem was their control 
and that is something that Bodie slash DJ couldn't fix with these guys. Moving forward, do you kind of see the Reds and their draft mentality going, hey, we can get a guy that has control and then build their velocity later down the line while we're developing them? Do you see that kind of as the way that it's going to work Good out? question, Bill. I think there's a chance that, yeah, I think certainly that they behaved more like that in this draft than they have in the past. Uh, I, I don't think that Bodie is heavily involved in the draft process. If he were, then I would just say, yes, like this guy's in the draft room. He's helping them target players. And so that, yeah, I would assume that that's part of uh, a philosophical shift. Chris Buckley used to be the team scouting director. Isn't anymore. He's still heavily involved. It feels like uh, as evidenced by a lot of the Juco guys going on day three here, like that's Buck's style. But I think that, you know, this front office has had some turnover uh, new scouting director, I think, you know, with how integrated the, the developmental staff is in the draft room, I don't really know. So I think we're still in, like, a relatively new, magmatic period where, as, like, people like me start to try to find transaction patterns with these teams to help us with mock drafts and just sort of understand what, like, why teams are interested in players, basically, uh, that, yeah, like, this is still sort of blurry um especially since buck was removed as the scouting director yeah and you know like that's kind of like there's just so much like with the infrastructure that they have like an article came out the other day uh i think it was charlie goldsmith with the cincinnati Enquirer about eric jager's teaching uh i think it was ryan Hendricks a new grip and just all of just it's crazy to see as somebody who grew, has grown up watching this team, just the very apparent shift in the way they've gone about their business. And it's cool to see. And like, that's the thing with Abbott, like kind of throwing back to trust the process. It's like, you know, his velo might not be there right now, but like he pitched at Virginia in the ACC and finished third in the nation behind lighter and rocker and strikeouts. Like the stuff is there. It's just a matter of fine tuning it. And like starter reliever, We'll see, but either way, like trust the process. Like I think, the I think it's fair to say that they know what they're doing. Yeah, and I think that that type of philosophy is becoming more popular. And it, it's like back when some of the teams had a better understanding of what new wave pitch data to look at. Like when Houston was sort of at the forefront of this and just scooping up gobs of guys before. The other teams kind of knew what they were missing. And then over time, teams became aware of it. And then it became harder for Houston to get those guys with the types of traits that we've been talking about. And now, like, Cleveland's been doing it. Cleveland's just been taking guys who don't throw hard but have all the other components and have taught them to throw hard. Shout out Stephen Oster. Right. Like, you can... Shane Bieber is obviously like the most successful version of this, and it's probably the most successful possible version of it. And then Cleveland again this year was just like, we don't care. We're going to keep doing this. We're going to take Doug Nikhazy, who throws 87. We're going to take Tanner Beebe, who throws 87. We're going to take Rodney Boone, who throws 84. But they all have all these other traits. Boone especially is just like super loose and athletic, and they're just going to try to get these guys to throw harder. And uh, like they collect these guys by the handful Cleveland does 
And so, yeah, it's like at some point here, especially as I think the Reds and some other teams have begun to show, eventually there's not just going to be like five rounds worth of guys like that to take. And it's going to be harder to find a guy like Doug Nikhazy or a guy like Tanner Bibby in the sixth round when like when the Rockies get hit to it, when they hire a new GM who is more willing to embrace, you know, philosophy like this, basically. Like, there's gonna, there are game theory components to this yet that I don't, I don't think it's, the dust hasn't settled on yet. So if, you, if, if this is where the trend is now, and it's getting these guys with these low velocities and then trying to flip them to gain this, this might be too far ahead to kind of guess and even speculate. What do you think the next move will be when you're kind of looking at this and seeing that we do have a good enough sample size of the results? What will be the next thing that scouts will be looking towards to be one step ahead of, say, the Indians and well, let alone the Reds and, and other organizations that are picking up and doing this? I think if, if we're talking about the guys who have like the vertically oriented stuff, uh, then what is it about the guys who don't have that that still allows those types of pitchers to succeed? So the guys who like have tailing and sinking fastballs, basically, which of those guys who succeed, like what it is about them that enables that is it about pitch execution is it about like slider angle basically like does your breaking ball have angle uh to like the back foot of opposite sided hitters or should scouts be more sensitive to consistency of location execution when we're talking about guys who have stuff that has like lateral action basically uh like those are some if you watch the raised the Josh Flemings and Ryan Yarbrough's mm-hmm. and like Ryan Thompson's of the world, they got those guys off the scrap heap. They're throwing them in low leverage spots, but like they just execute the hell out of their stuff all the time. Like Sergio Romo pitched for 15 years just because he puts his slider in the same exact spot every time. And it has like this enticing, but unhittable angle to it. So um, like Nick Lodolo is actually a guy where I think there's some concern about his breaking ball angle like it doesn't have that type of angle where it can be anything other than like a a nice looking backdoor breaking ball he doesn't really finish anybody with that breaking ball uh so i think like change up development that becomes more important for him which i think is also true of guys who have arm slots like he does where you know creates tailing action on their fastball and then your change up's going to have pretty similar movement and then it's important for you to like create that tumble and speed differential basically like this is some of the stuff that i think over time uh we'll have to have a better feel for especially because these dudes with the power pitchers vertical stuff you can quantify that teams who are uh comfortable taking those guys who prioritize those guys who are willing to trade willie adamas for relievers who have that type of stuff who are willing to trade Jesus Sanchez for guys who have that type of stuff, basically, you know, like that's, that's quantifiable. So some of the other stuff uh, related to like consistency of pitch, pitch execution, I think is more visual. I think that uh, it's going to be more important for scouts to be sensitive to those things because the other types of pitchers teams are, are hot for, uh, they are because it's quantifiable.
Right. And then you're going to eventually be shifting, for lack of a better term, you're going to be looking for pitchers that create movement going east and west instead of, you know, right. north and south. That totally makes yes. sense. That absolutely makes a ton of sense. And it just reverts back to old school baseball. It's just like, you know, it's cyclical. Everything is cyclical when we're moving back to that. Yes. As Alex Turner yes. from the Arctic Monkeys said, rock and roll will always emerge from the sludge. It is cyclical. <laughs> it yeah. might not be here right now, but oh, it'll, it'll be back better than ever. It's almost like you could argue that radar guns, putting radar guns in the hands of scouts, impeded their ability to actually assess fastball quality. That if you didn't tell them how fast it were, all they really cared about was looking at, like, if guys were chucking it past hitters in the zone, that they might have actually have had a better, been more attuned to the things that, like, trackman units would eventually be able to quantify, that, like, the radar gun biased them in a way that was regressive and that actually impeded their ability to properly assess fastballs, that we were all just leaning too much on velocity and not caring as much about deception and, and movement and just watching hitters struggle to hit the baseball or not. Like, Chase Silseth at Arizona, okay, so this guy, Chase Silseth, He's a pitcher at U of A. He went to the Cardinals in the 11th round. Or no, excuse me, not the Cardinals, the Angels. In the 11th round, he was one of the hardest-throwing starters in Division I baseball last year. He was routinely like 3-6, to six, touch and 8, but he got hit around. And it's just because his fastball doesn't have any kind of real movement. But when you look at your radar and you see 98 and you're a four-corner scout and nobody else even comes close to that in your whole area, you're going to like put a 6 or better on this guy's fastball and just doesn't play that way even mark appel like mark appel tricked the astros even like they just weren't aware even at that time when they took him first like this guy's fastball is just not going to play it just doesn't have any kind of impact movement it's just hard but you, know, you just watch hitters not have have trouble dealing with it and you would know that but like yeah so i do think that this stuff is cyclical that some of it like we kind of goozled ourselves a little bit with some of the tools and some of the focus that we've that we've had over the last gosh, like 30 years now. Mm -hmm. And I think if you look at the college game, I mean, it generally works this way, but like college is ball is all about development. And I'll never forget this. I was uh, working a perfect game showcase and I was sitting behind the, uh, I was sitting behind home plate, keeping score and running Rapsodo. And there was a kid, big lefty, and he was only getting it up there like 88, 90, but his fastball had this late run to it and it was absolutely nasty and like granted 88 90 that's solid for college ball and that's definitely something you can work off of but like it wasn't anything that caught your eye immediately and then you start watching how that thing moves and lo and behold two outs into his inning Purdue's coach is calling the showcase director and it's just one of those things man it's just everything reverts and no velocity is not going away but you can't. It's not just going to be pure velo anymore because any one of these guys in pro ball, as you move your way up the ranks, they're going to be able to hit velocity. It's what the velocity itself looks like. And that's the next thing I think that is. I don't have an answer for is like, all right, well, how do we catch our understanding of hitters up to our collective industry understanding of pitchers? Because just what pitchers are doing is just in their control. They don't have, you know, there's nothing interacting with it really when you're trying to assess it. And hitters, it's totally the opposite. Like the way they react to a thing in less than half a second 
is the entire like driving piece of what they're able to do or not. There's plenty of guys with amazing bat speed who just suck, who just can't hit, and it's just hard to know if they're going to be able to hit big league velocity until they face it. And I think it was like Taylor Trammell, you know, who just was like crushing the low minors. And then as he hit the upper minors and basically at the alt site last year, it was clear that, oh, this guy really struggles with top end velocity that he just didn't see much of until like now. And then you have guys like Dominic Brown and Byron Buxton, like Buxton's amazing because he does other stuff at an elite level. But, like, there was zero sign that Byron Buxton was going to struggle or have any type of prolonged adjustment period in the big leagues while he was in the minors. He was just totally dominant the whole time and just looked like he would be, all right, like, we have Mike Trout, and then here comes Byron Buxton. And then he saw big league sliders, and it was just too much. And it's taken him, like, a half decade to make any kind of adjustment. And, you know, now some better version of him has arrived. But yeah, like you just don't, some of it is just, you just don't know, like we're just going to be wrong because of the quality of the competition. But is there something, like, is there something about Byron Buxton? Is there something going on with his eyes or his brain in some way that is like measurable or understandable, like through some type of, I don't know, surveying or whatever, like that we might be able to understand more about hitters in the near future. Like this is the thing that I don't know that teams I talked to have spent money on and just blown it because they have tried to find out and still don't know. Like these, I, I, This is the next like frontier of scouting, I think. And the, the teams like Cleveland, uh, who's, they're, who tend to lean on data for like most stuff, they're just doing results-based analysis on this stuff. They're just like, all right, well, do you hit? Do you make contact? 14-year-old in Venezuela, like, okay, well, that's the only, that's our best guess as to whether or not you're going to keep doing that. That's amazing. And I'm sorry. <clears throat> Sorry, yeah, like, that's why they sign all these, like, short-levered switch-hitting infielders on the international market. It's, like, who they spend their money on. If they're given uh, upper six figures, a million bucks to to anybody on the international market, it's just these compact little switch-hitters. Like, that's all they care about. And they do it in the draft, too. Like, Milan Tolentino and Jake Fox this year. And, like, it's just wee little switch-hitting infielders who they hope will eventually be plus bats. Well, and I think that it's an interesting point because I know that Driveline's done a ton of research on like gaze tracking and stuff and they found that there it's not like enough to publish, but there is pretty clearly a correlation between quote unquote quiet eye and elite hitters at the D1 level. And the problem there is like how are teams going to a proof that tech enough to the point that they're comfortable drafting off of it and B, how are they going to deploy that in the field or at workouts in a cost-effective way because believe it or not, these billionaires are hurting for money apparently. Um, (laughs) But uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Obviously you have a lot of basketball articles to write because that is your job. But uh, relevant to local interests, I wanted your take on one of the, the leadoff hitter of the Angels pitcher only draft, love and honor himself, Miami University's own Sam Bachman. Yeah, so I think there's a chance that this guy is in the big leagues at some point in the next couple months, the same way Garrett Crochet was last year. And there's a chance that this, his medical was so bad that some teams just had him off the board. Like, he's had a hip labrum surgery. He's had elbow and shoulder stuff. His delivery is definitely very violent. Uh, but, you know, like, 
these are some of the same things that we were saying about Jackson Rutledge, and he's been slow to develop. These are some of the things that we were saying about Garrett Crochet last year, and he was in the big leagues instantaneously. So, yeah, I think that Bachman's got ridiculous stuff. If he stays healthy, he's almost a slam dunk to pitch high leverage relief innings and probably soon. Uh, there's just more risk than is typical for a college pitcher like that because of how seemingly bad the medical is. And now, I don't know, you know, uh, I don't have access. I don't have, like, a fair doesn't have a team doctor, you know, but, like, it's possible teams were telling me and other draft writers stuff like this to try to suppress this guy's price. Like that wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past some of these people with teams to do something like that. Um, and maybe I'm violating some HIPAA thing by even saying <laughs> any of this stuff at all. But like the show has yeah, really great so, lawyers for you. Billy and Lee have uh, a ton of money. But you know, he's, he's going to be good if he's healthy and his stuff is unbelievable. Uh, I know that, at one point during the year, like, you know, teams picking in the middle of the top 10 had real heat in there to see this guy just to make sure that they weren't missing on something as high as, like, five, six, seven. So uh, I think that uh, we're scared of him because of the injury stuff that we've heard about. But, yeah, like, there's a 50-50 shot that this guy is just, like, doing K-Rod stuff for the Angels at some point in the next two years. Yeah, and I think, like, to your point earlier, like, is this guy – like would a first would whatever you get for a first round pick be better than an established player NFL style? I mean, he already is good enough. He has two plus plus pitches, tops out at one oh two, like the dude shoves and I think he does I, I, I would be surprised if he if they if they shut him down, I get it. If they don't, I would be shocked if he wasn't in the bigs at some point this year. Because uh hey, why not? Let it eat. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think, where are they in the standings? I'm just it's the Angels, man. <laughs> <laughs> not where right, they so should be with the two best players in the world. They're nine back of Houston. Yeah. Right, yeah, they're nine back of Houston, and they're well, they're kind of in the wild card. They're in that second wild card mix. Um, no, they're still about six games out of that second wild card spot, but it's it's early, and they've been without Trout for a year. So, yeah, it, the, the Angels are weird. Like, they moved all of their azl games well not all of them i guess but a bunch of them have been moved to the daytime and the rumor going around here is that it's because the lights aren't up to like pro code at tempe diablo stadium and it's and like Artie moreno doesn't want to pay to have them fixed so like, this is what the angels fans are dealing with is their their billionaire owner furloughed their area scouts last year he never brought him back uh he won't fix the lights at tempe diablo stadium you know he doesn't want to pay full freight for draft guys like they're you know very cool stuff it's great oh but he'll you know he'll he'll give the second largest contract on all the baseball to mike trout but won't fix the small things great smart move art you really love to see it (laughs) all right eric thank you for coming on uh where can the lovely nasty boys and girls that listen to this luxurious podcast find your profound work so, yeah, go to Fangraphs.com if you like baseball analysis. We do hardcore uh, baseball analysis there. Uh, it's a great place to find statistics and, and sort of dig up your own stuff if that's what you're into. And then I wrote a book that came out last year called Future Value, which is sort of about, like, modern baseball scouting uh, and where things are headed. And uh, a lot of that stuff has already started to come to fruition because of 
financial impacts of COVID mostly and some of the dynamics that we've alluded to regarding like the owners of teams and where they want to put their money now, which is more into like R&D and dev than it is scouting. Um, and so that's those are the two spots. Well, right on. They are both excellent spots. And you have the, the paperback is coming out, correct? Yeah, actually, um, it's funny. Like when your book comes out during the pandemic, you don't like do a whole lot associated with it. So I actually did like my first book signing over the weekend in Denver and put my hands on paperbacks in the wild for the first time. So they're out there now. Uh, you know, try to visit a local independent bookstore if you can. Uh, and if not, then, you know, Jeff Bezos gets a cut. But so do I, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I will uh, I will pony up for a copy of... Or th- you know what? I'm going to do three paperbacks for listeners. The first person to tweet at me a scouting report of Jeff... Ka- the first three people to tweet different, unique scouting reports of Jeff Kepinger to me <laughs> will get a paperback copy. And uh, when I had COVID, that book... Uh, I watched all of Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown, and I read Future Value cover to cover. Both were excellent. Eric, thanks for coming on. And then lastly, Eric, before I let you go, uh, so will the Reds make the playoffs, yes or yes? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think that they will. I think that the the front office is very motivated to push some chips in, and uh, I don't know if Milwaukee has... That's just not their style. Like Milwaukee's kind of, you know, they they they're kind of pansy-ish about pushing some of the chips in. Like they want to keep the wave rolling and rolling and rolling and kind of snowball talent the way that the Rays have. Um, and so, yeah, I think that I think their chances are strong. I think that uh, in terms of like adding stuff here ahead of the deadline, I bet that the Reds are are much more likely to do something big than than Milwaukee is. So I'll say yeah. Yeah, I love to I love to hear it. Lee, do you love to hear it? You know I love to hear it, man. Well, Eric, thank you so much for coming on, man, and I hope that uh we can talk soon and become friends instead of just having your voice recorded on a Zoom and talking deep about the draft. Cheers, man. See you guys. Thanks for having me. See you bye. All right, Billy, how do you finagle your way out of this one? Lee, you were so involved. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, no, it's fine, man. I, there was a, not much of an opportunity for me to hop in, and I was just happy to listen, take yeah. in that knowledge. That was very – that's the most in-depth we've ever gone on this podcast. Yeah, you yeah know. I mean, that guy's he's got, like, the fucking – he's got, like, the, you know, the commentator's cadence and voice, and he is very knowledgeable, and that guy knows precisely what he's talking about. Exactly. It was like, uh, oh, this is this is nice. This is a lot of heavy lifting. I don't have to plan on. Yeah, I mean, uh, what could I have possibly (laughs) hopped in and said? Well, and that was my thing. It's like when we were sitting down, getting ready to go. I was like, you know, I have some takes on the draft, but why would you go to Arby's when you can go to the Pony and get a much better beef and cheddar? And that is Eric Longenhagen, a much better beef and cheddar. Yeah, man. That was uh, that was. Balls deep. And encouraging. And encouraging. And totally encouraging. I didn't know that stuff about Nick Lodolo's slider. It's, I mean, it's he, a, it just sounds like he really has faith in what's going on with, in Cincinnati. Yeah, and I think it, it's it's one of those things like, 
the proof is in the pudding. Driveline, not only... like It would be one thing if they just graduated talent into the majors, but the fact that they graduate coaching talent as often as they do, that's even more encouraging to me because it doesn't just mean that people are buying into uh, the players that they're churning out, but it means that people are buying into their philosophy as a whole and there is no team that has bought in more than the Reds. So it's cool to see. And, you know, with Lodolo, I think that that lefty slider is always an interesting one. Uh, Amir Garretts has been okay. It's been great at times. It's mm-hmm. been horrible at times. Then you have Clayton Kershaw with some of his breaking balls. And, like, there's just – it's tough for lefties to nail that pitch. Um, do you want to talk about I – ha- I have – Besides Sam Bachman, one, two, three. I have five other picks. You know what? I'm good. I think we're we good. I think we, we're, we're good. good. We think we're good. All right. Fuck Lee, the draft. Lee, are you ready for this? Yeah. We've got three at home against Milwaukee. Boom. Uh, tomorrow night, we've got Mally going against TBD. You have. Yeah, we're going. We're going Mally, Luis, and Sonny. What? What do you feel? How do you feel about that? I say I I love just throwing our bombs at it. I wouldn't mind seeing Miley get a start in there. I wouldn't either, and uh, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't either. And but also at the same time, I totally get why you start with those three. Those are those. I mean, all of them have been throwing well, but the fact that Luis has been throwing as well as he has, and and like actually throwing like Luis. I guess you just right. have to throw them at the throw him at it instead of Miley, which you know they most recent. Who was the most recent pitcher that they saw? Was that? Uh, I mean they they saw Miley. They just saw Miley and uh, Gutierrez. Yeah, and they didn't see Sonny. That was a great move putting him on the IL. It really was. That shit was slick, dude. I mean that was like uh, in quote air quotes fucking rib cage strain. I mean, I sometimes strain my rib cage just getting out of the car, so I, I, I love yeah, that well, move. That, yeah, that, that, that is not an elite athlete. Hey, man. Hey, <laughs> speak for yourself. I throw, I top off at like 73. Danny, it was, it, was, it was cool that you pulled that string and got that guy out here. That was a pretty cool conversation. Dude, he's the man. Uh, that's, and like, that's the thing. Like, the baseball community... You met him at a dick sucking competition. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and like, obviously, like Eric won because he's just tremendously talented. But, I mean, uh, he's got he's got a great mouth on him. <laughs> but uh, no, that's a uh, that's the thing with like the baseball community. I found it's like there's a bunch of old heads that are just old heads and salty dogs. But like, there's just so many more people that just love the game and want to spread that love and inform people on new levels. And Eric's one of them. Good boy, good dude, friend of the program. It's tight, man. It's tight. So we've got those three rolling. I feel very good. We're at home, but it also doesn't say who Milwaukee's throwing out. Which is kind of wild. If you had to guess, who would you? Who do you think it's going to be? You think it's going to be uh, uh, Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta just to start it off? You got to figure they'll throw their three-headed dragon at us. That's what we're doing. You would think, but at the same time, like it depends on where they think they are and where they think they're going to go. If I'm the Reds, and I think the Reds are pretty clearly doing this, like they smell blood and they're sending the sharks out for it. If Milwaukee thinks that they're safe, they might try and give Burns and Peralta a little bit of rest. But I don't know. I mean, if I'm them, I go full send, just like the Reds are, because 
the Brewers are not safe, and if they're not going to add, they need to add in the uh, wins and losses column instead of to their arsenal, you know? I mean, obviously there's a whole lot of season left, and you don't know how it's going to shake out, but when you've got like teams like the Cubs who come out publicly and say that, you know, more or less they're sellers now, and they are eyes to the future, I mean, it, I, you can never really count out St. Louis but, I mean, when you're looking at the Central, are you looking at a two-team thing right now? I think you kind of have to be. Um, I just, Billy and I were talking earlier, I really hope the Reds go big. I think that a starter could be huge, because that would take Gutierrez potentially into the bullpen, which I would be down for. Um, what everyone said ad nauseum is that, effectively, Lorenzen, Antone, and Sims, when they come back, that's basically a trade deadline acquisition. Um, right. At the same time, I think if there's an impact reliever to go get, you go get him. And then at the same time, like, who is going to be barking for Trevor's story? Because I saw this take a couple weeks ago, and I'll recycle it because I think it's true. Most good teams are pretty set at shortstop. And yeah. I think that the Reds, while they might not be as top-heavy on their prospect list as some others... I think that it's clear that, at least with the Arenado trade, that the Rockies went for quantity over quality. And the Reds are also in a unique position where they could potentially trade somebody that's major league ready in addition to a couple prospects. We've got several guys that we could deal that are major league ready. Yeah, like I think Santion has to be in play for that. I think Naquin might be in play, but that's a one-year rental deal. So like, I don't know how intriguing that would be. They've got a big old outfield. Yeah, they've got a big old outfield out there. Maybe Shogo is appetizing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a lot of different players that kind of fit what the Rockies would be looking for. And I mean, obviously for them, it's like they're never going to be able to sign free agent pitchers. So give them some pitchers, you know. And I think that the Reds are in an interesting position. I think it might have to take one of the big uh, prospect horses, maybe a Hendrick, maybe a Barrero. Uh, but honestly, it's like man. I am so sick of losing, and you have to assume Castellanos is not wearing a C on his jersey next year. Put the chips in, man. I'm not saying trade Green, Lodolo, and Barrero for Trevor Story, but I'm saying if you have to part with a Barrero or a Hendrick and then a couple of other B or C level prospects to get Trevor Story, do you got to do it. Yeah. God, so you don't see do you, you don't you don't see any world even if we go on a run of some sorts where we can can or will pay Castellanos. That's just it's not Boris's mo. It's just never been. And I mean, if Castellanos tells him to stand down, he would, I guess. But like, it, you hire but Scott. Boris is about here's your contract. Your next one's going to be more. Exactly. Like, and I I think that the Reds, if they want to be in the driver's seat for Castellanos, I think given the fact that he clearly fits in really well, I think that they certainly have that opportunity. But I don't see a reality where he doesn't go to the market unless he directly. The number one thing. The number one thing that we can do, and the only thing that's in our power, is to win. Exactly, and I think, like Steve Mancuso has been beating the drum for this for a while. I think you really need to, right now, like today, while things are chill, have that conversation with Castellanos, have that conversation with Winker, have that conversation with Tyler Molly, and 
not necessarily like, I'm not like Castellanos is going to be like a big fucking contract. Like he deserves it. He's been one of the most underrated players he's in best baseball. in baseball since 2018. Yep, he's been one of the most underrated players in the game and he is going to cash out on that and rightfully so and uh, I don't see it happening before he tests the waters, but I think that again like he clearly fits in well here. They clearly have a need for him. I think that it the red if the Reds want to be in the driver's seat they will be and you would hope that with this offseason spent like cutting payroll and regardless of what they do unless they make like a splash splash I don't see them adding too much payroll right now you would think that they'd be willing to perhaps open the books for somebody like that and there is a track record with Castellini of loving fan favorites whether it's Matt Harvey or Billy Hamilton or Joey Votto or Brandon Phillips, like, or Suarez. Like, there's a long... Tra- like, people talk about the Reds not being free agent players, and people talk about the Reds cutting contracts or cutting payroll last year. They did cut Homer payroll. Bailey. It sucks. Homer Bailey, perfect example. But there is a track record of them investing in fan favorites because they're fan favorites, and it just so happens... There, that- do you guys think that there's any way that Bob is so senile that we could convince him that Castellini and Castellanos are related? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh. Bob, that's your son. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, this your son is also this plate of spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy this breadstick, it's your cousin. Um but no, I bet, you know what, like, I totally think that the uh, what you're saying, Danny, is on par with, like, the fact that they will bring him back just based on that. Um, Boris has been in play with us when we started spending money in at the end of 2019 and into 2020. So we can easily play ball with them. I do think they will spend the money, and the reason that he will spend the money is because people are coming and sitting in the ballpark and spending money there again like crazy. So there is an influx of cash, so they have... What do you guys expect this uh, weekend series against the Brewers to look like? Dude, I think it's going to be absolutely buck. Like, it's going to be packed to the gills. I think it's... And that's, I think it's going to be packed out at the banks, too. Dude, it's going to be awesome. It's going to... This is this is the closest we've come to a playoff series we can be at since yeah. 2013. Yeah, even if I can't get into the game, I'm just going to come up and, and just hang out down in the Dora and, like, flip over a goddamn picnic table. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try and get to Sunday's game. Um, man, it's just, it's really cool to see people giving a shit about the Reds. And again, like Castellini Castellanos, Castellanos <laughs> and Winker are a huge, if not the main parts of that. And Castellanos. Castellanos. And uh, man, I really don't want to see Castellanos wear any other jersey next year besides whatever blight of an all-star jersey they create. So, let's say they sweep. Let's just throw that energy out there. Let's say they sweep. We're one game. I honestly think that they will just push it all in. Not extensions. They're not going to do that right now. I just don't... I think there's... The problem is there's too much on Crawl's plate and he's just not being able to handle it while being the GM GM and the president of baseball operations. I think that conversation has probably happened, but I don't th- I think they might just be waiting to see what happens next. But packed out ballpark, they're within one game. What do you think are the go-to moves? I mean, I I think the Trevor Story move is great. I think that would be a move. That's on my board. 
Um, also on my board is uh, Rico Rodriguez. You trade within division. You make it happen. Um, and then go get another guy like Paul Fry. He's yeah. also on my list. Um, that's a guy that's not going to cost a lot that could really solidify in the middle of the pen. I've been trying to will this into existence for like two years now. Um, the Dodgers really need a starter. And uh, this would be a tough pill to swallow. But if you can't get Story, if the cost is too high on Story, I think you can look at making a play on Gavin Lux. And I think that it might cost somebody like a Tyler Molly, but again, I'm not saying that this is the best possible option, but if you're looking at moves the Reds can make, that one checks a lot of boxes. Oh. It's a starting shortstop under team control, and I think he's a change in scenery candidate. Like The reality is, it's the Dodgers. He's not going to play every single day because they have just mashers that play every single position, but... Uh, I would like Gavin Lux. Not we could get than Gavin Lux to play shortstop for us for a year or two. That'd be fucking cool. I mean, it would. I think. I mean, this is this would be. I think this is his first full year in the majors, so he's under control for a lot more a lot more time. And I'd be into that. Um, it just what does that look like as far as acquisition cost? Because. I think that conversation would have to start with uh, with Molly, and I'm not sure if that's... Wait, okay, so is there even a way where um, we can retain Castellanos, extend Winker, and extend Molly, or is one of those not happening? There's always a way. They have money. It's just a matter of if they want to use it or not. Right. And I think that it's... The playoff... Like, last year's team, obviously the offense was historically unlucky and it's very clear that that was in fact unlucky an anomaly an anomaly a profound statistical uh, anomaly in bananas yeah and it's pretty clear that the core you have in place this year is better than last year like jonathan india has been excelling in the leadoff role um you have new pieces that are producing stevenson has best offensive year yeah i, I think if i'm them you got to look at it from a couple of different angles. Like, do I want them to take the team option on Barnhart, expecting there be to be a DH next year, and you give Stevenson more at bats, whether it's at DH, whether it's at first, he can play his backup catcher role, or even platoon it maybe. That's but what then I would it's see. like, does that affect your ability to bring back Castellanos? And it's like, again, I'm not an owner of a sports team because I like to spend money more than they do. But, like, come on, man. Like, this team has juice. Like, you got to bring back Castellanos. You have to. Now, as much as everyone is underplaying him for MVP, including MLB, by having DeGrom and Tatis, it's like, there's a clear two choices. It's these two. Um, and then everyone commenting, like, Castellanos, are you guys dumb? But... Um, Knowing that he put up these type of numbers at the end of 19 and and continued to do it in, with 18 and 19, he was making 12 and he's just continuing to do this. He's just carrying this team and especially he did that in Chicago in 19 mm -hmm. towards the second half of the year. I don't know how much more his market value would it's It's, it's be. peaked. Well, I, I, I think... We can't look at the contract that he signed initially. Um, also considering the CBA is up and it's about to be a shit show. So I just did the math 
27 million times six years, I think, is 162. I mean, Bob, come on, bud. Or even, like, I, I respected him for doing kind of the LeBron-style contract. Do another one if you want. If he wants to keep betting on himself, do the same thing. A little more money this time. Like, I, I, I think that this dude just, the juice he brings, the talent he brings, like, you look at, you got to call the Mustaka signing what it is. That's a whiff. Hey, I respect it. Great try. He's contributed in a lot of ways besides uh, not contributing on the field. Vado's, great try. Vado's time. It was a great try. Yeah. Right. Vado's time in the sun is coming to an end. Shogo was a whiff. Like, you have the opportunity right now to cement the next face of your franchise. And for everything that we grew up hearing about the Big Red Machine and this town embracing the athletes that put their heads down and do their work while also not taking shit in the process, that is Nick Castellanos. Dude doesn't have a cell phone or a smartphone, sorry. Dude just rakes... Mashes. Just mashes and jazzes up the whole team and sells a lot of shirts for Cincy shirts. And combined with the fact that you let Bauer walk at the end of the 2020 season, let alone what he's getting into now, it was still a detriment to the team and the psyche and everything and what they were doing um, and losing the 2020 Cy Young pitcher. I mean, that sucked. And you can't do that again to this fan base, no, especially being no. this close to being fucking really good. No, and that's yes, the thing. It's so like, close. like, as Eric said, the Brewers are not the splash team. They never will be. The Cubs are selling off. Um, they're going to have to shell out money to retain uh, Contreras and Baez. And good Lord, the amount of money it would take to fix that starting rotation. I don't even want to think about it. The Cardinals are close. The Cardinals have some really promising young talent and Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. And plus Flaherty's on the IL. Yeah, the Cardinals are... The Cardinals are, I, I don't want to call them a sleeping giant because they're the Cardinals, but they're a damn good team. They're looming. The Brewers are perpetually going to be okay to above average. It's, it's time. It is time to usher in the new era of Reds baseball. You go from the big red machine to the wire-to-wire -wire 90s team, and then you have really likable teams with really good players for our whole childhood. It, it's damn time to start the future right now with extending Nick Castellanos. Couldn't agree more, man. I, just, I pray, pray, pray that it happens, man. It would, it would truly be heartbreaking to see him be, you know, right field for the fucking White Sox next year. Oh, God, that would hurt. Just seeing him also in that Navy Red Sox uni, gross. Ugh. It, it God, I'm at, oh, God, it kind of Get send shivers up my spine just imagining him just pinging balls off the monster. God, that would be that would be that would hurt. Yeah, that would suck. So we're gonna sweep this weekend. It's gonna happen. I can't wait to come Ooh. back and talk about it next week. I'm Me either, dude. In person, Bill. God, and it's dude. Tomorrow, next week will have been, I think, a month since we've been with it each will other. Be a month because I haven't done two in a row. <sighs> The guy with big hands had to fill in for you. God, those microphones will never be the same. We went, yeah, exactly. They got PTSD. We went from <laughs> big hands to big, uncircumcised dick. <laughs> See, that's look, here's the thing, man. I'm just going to put this on the record. Like, people make jokes 
about Jews being uncircumcised, we literally invented circumcision. It's true. Yeah, it's you guys. Yeah, we invented circumcision. Bill and I are firmly cut. Oh, you're cut. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jews are circumcised. We invented it. There's a whole, like, ritual around it. Seven days after birth, the whole family gathers and watches the kid's dick get cut off. Yeah, it's totally normal. Yeah, that's a perfectly normal thing. (laughs) Religion is, like, totally chill. Like, it's perfect. That's a normal thing that happens. That's not weird at all. Like, making a family event out of a kid getting the tip of his dick cut off. Totally normal. Shout out big hands and shout out big dick. (laughs) (laughs) You can't have one without the other, my friend. Ain't that the truth. So, let's round third and head for home. Lee, what do you got coming up, brother? Um, uh, I will be up in Cincinnati this weekend, just hanging out with and seeing my people, trying to catch a baseball game, uh, hosting the Hub on Monday. Last Monday was incredible. It was a lot of fun. Let's try to do that again. And then, yeah, got a, a fun little run. I'm going, uh, it'll be Ju- July 24th. 5th and 6th, I'll be in New York, and uh, August 1st, I'm leaving, or July 23rd, 4th, and 5th, I'll be in New York, and then August 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, driving down to Austin, doing a couple shows down there, just checking it out with my lady, and then be back up into the nasty. That's right, baby. Yeah, all over, man. But yeah, yeah worldwide. Yeah. So wait, when? Miss, I, when did you say in August? I mean, in late July. Where are you again? New York, up in Brooklyn, at what? the Bell House. What are the dates on that? July twenty third, twenty fourth, and twenty fifth. Nice. Bell House yeah, is a great dude. venue. Yeah, I've heard, man. And then coming back in July twenty ninth, uh, the boys are back at High Grain. Heck yeah, we are. We got a stacked lineup. The only thing higher yeah, than the grain will be Lee Kimbrell. Oh <laughs> yeah, you're goddamn right. So I'm so excited for that show. It's a it's a murderer's row. It's me and Lee, Osha Dwyer, who moved here from Pittsburgh. She's fantastic. Uh, we have Mark Shalafu, whose album uh, Think Fast debuted a number one on Apple Music, and he's played all the time on Pandora and Sirius XM. And then we have Josh Sneed, my boss and yours, Danny. And Mandy McKelvey. And then closing around is Mandy McKelvey. She is fantastic. And that is just... Oh, that's so crazy. McKelvey's closing it out, isn't she? Yeah. Because Sneed only wants to do 15. Yeah, it's just murderer's row. So very excited, very exciting. And then I will, you know... Every uh, first and third Tuesday, go to Five Points Park and come and catch a very good showcase. This Tuesday, I won't be there. I will be at a bachelor party all day. Um, And we have uh, Hunter Roberts and Rena Calm is closing it out. Oh, boom, bitch. Yeah, another great show. Um, So, yeah, definitely check that stuff out. Danny, you got anything you want to plug? Yeah, every Friday and Saturday, I will be slinging tees at Cincy Shirts OTR and then slinging Bev's at Ryan House. So come buy whatever new red shirt we have or celebrate our all-stars with a shirt and then spill beer on it that night. Uh, Then the morning of July 22nd, I will be coaching at Nick Castellanos' youth camp. So if you have a young slugger in your life that wants to uh, learn how to 
hit balls and shag flies. I'll be teaching them how to do that. And then uh, looking ahead to September, I'm back in the old familiar saddle, slinging tees that say thrice on them. Real excited about that. But uh, yeah, if you want to talk ball, if you want to buy a shirt, if you want to spill a beer on that shirt, Cincy Shirts and Rhinehouse. Air weekend. That's right. Hell yeah, boys! This and was a good one. Vote for Evan Holt. I'm doing that during the weekdays still. If you live in Cincinnati, vote for Evan Holt for city council. That's right. And then buy a shirt and spill beer on it. Believe that. So the boys are busy. The boys are at work. They're making stuff happen. So thank you for listening. Thank you to thank you, Sports Drink. Thank you, Sports Drink. Thank you, Spotify Green Room. And thanks to Eric for coming on on short notice. And thank you, Sweet Bill and uh, and uh, Dan the Man. Thank you for existing, Lee. So this one was great. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, go Red Legs. Y'all stay nasty. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash match. Just go to indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, 
propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts.